Stick around, you'll learn something. This is Clinical Pearls. That's right, we're back, and hopefully you will learn something. In this episode, we will cover chronic kidney disease in pregnancy. Let's get right to it. Chronic kidney disease represents a heterogeneous group of disorders characterized by alterations in both the structure and the function of the kidney. Etiologies are many, but examples of renal disorders include glomerular diseases like immunoglobulin A nephropathy or minimal change disease. It can also have vascular components like thrombotic microangiopathic disorders. Also, tubulo-interstitial diseases can have a place here, like nephrolithiasis and reflux nephropathy. There can also be cystic diseases, like polycystic kidney disease. Further, systemic diseases, including diabetes, vasculitis, and systemic lupus erythematosus often involve the kidneys in young women. Although the prevalence of chronic kidney disease in women of childbearing age seems relatively low, with estimates in the order of 0.1% up to 4%, the implications of pregnancy in the context of chronic kidney disease are many and can be severe. We have to start at the beginning with the renal anatomic and physiologic changes associated with normal pregnancy. Now, at the level of the kidney, there are important anatomical and physiological alterations that are not only critical for the optimal pregnancy outcome, but also have important clinical implications. Anatomic changes include dilation of the renal collecting system, the calluses, the renal pelvises, and of course, the ureters. This peaks by about 20 weeks of gestation. These changes occur as a result of progesterone, which reduces ureteral tone, peristalsis, and contraction pressure even early in pregnancy, as well as mechanical compressive forces that occur at the ureters as they cross the pelvic brim as pregnancy progresses. Now, owing to alterations in the hormones that govern vasodilation and vasoconstriction, several important hemodynamic changes also occur during pregnancy most notably a decrease in systemic vascular resistance. This in turn leads to a decrease in mean arterial pressure, which typically begins in the first trimester with a nadir around 18 to 24 weeks of pregnancy. These return back to normal close to term. So because of this, women with mild hypertension may be able to discontinue medication in the early stages of pregnancy. In contrast, poorly controlled high blood pressure preconceptually and in early pregnancy portends a particularly poor prognosis, and hypertension needs to be managed before an attempt at conception, especially in those with chronic kidney disease. Regarding function, remember that renal vasodilation increases renal plasma flow, and so GFR increases. Modifications in tubular function also occurs in normal pregnancies, with alterations seen in tubular handling of glucose, amino acids, and even uric acid. The most clinically relevant adaptation is the alteration in protein excretion, where increased proteinuria is often attributed to simple hyperfiltration. Now, throughout pregnancy, the value of significant proteinuria is usually set at above 300 milligrams in 24 hours. 
However, and here's a clinical pearl, it should be highlighted that the upper limit has not been well studied of what is normal and what's abnormal. Now, because convincing evidence for significant glomerular leakage of protein in a normal pregnancy is actually insufficient, significant proteinuria, defined as greater than 300 milligrams in 24 hours, should not necessarily be attributed to simple hyperfiltration of pregnancy, and it does require full assessment. This is a good place to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about the effect of pregnancy on chronic kidney disease. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, what's the effect of pregnancy on pre-existing renal diseases? One of the most important considerations in the management of pregnancy in the context of chronic kidney disease is the potential for pregnancy to bring on disease progression and decrease the time to end-stage renal disease. But unfortunately, chronic kidney disease has variable definitions in the literature, so it's actually kind of hard to gauge the potential for prognosis, and it can be challenging. Here's what we know. In those with mild renal insufficiency, efficiency, significant renal function loss is possible, but it's unlikely. However, in those with more advanced chronic kidney disease, the potential for loss of kidney function must be recognized and its significance not underestimated. The degree of renal dysfunction is not the only factor influencing the progression in these complicated pregnancies. Concomitant hypertension and proteinuria also contribute to the risks for loss of renal function and will cover both hypertension and proteinuria in just a moment. Next, what is the effect of kidney disease on the pregnancy itself? Well, a recent systematic review and meta-analysis sought to answer that question. Over 500,000 pregnancies with chronic kidney disease were evaluated. They did note greater odds of preeclampsia, preterm delivery, small for gestational age, low birth weight, cesarean delivery, failed pregnancy, including stillbirth, fetal and neonatal loss, and even preterm rupture of membranes in women with chronic kidney disease relative to healthy women in a control group. Okay, as you would suspect, there are some pregnancy complications much more likely in patients with chronic kidney disease, and that includes exacerbation of blood pressure. As previously discussed, the presence of hypertension increases the risk of adverse pregnancy outcomes, including preeclampsia, preterm delivery, and fetal growth restriction in these patients. Blood pressure ideally should be optimized before the patient becomes pregnant. Now, unlike patients without chronic renal disease, where tight control of hypertension is not necessary, a blood pressure target of less than 140 over 90 has been recommended for women with chronic kidney disease during pregnancy as a way to prevent deterioration of renal function. ACOG does recommend low-dose aspirin in these patients anywhere from 100 to 150 milligrams daily starting before 16 weeks and ending at 36 weeks of gestation. This is in contrast to the usual recommendation of preeclampsia prevention, which is given at a dose of 81 milligrams a day. <music> 
This is a good time to talk about supplemental calcium and vitamin D. Now remember, in the average patient, using calcium and vitamin D supplementation has not been shown effective for preeclampsia prevention. However, in those with chronic renal issues, this may be something to consider. According to the college, the use of calcium supplementation at at least one gram per day can have an effect in reducing the risk of preeclampsia. The World Health Organization does recommend daily supplementation with 1.5 to 2 grams of oral elemental calcium in those populations with low dietary intake for the prevention of preeclampsia. But vitamin D supplementation still requires further study. All right, guys, as we wrap up the podcast, we have to talk about significant proteinuria in this population. The degree of proteinuria has also been associated with progression of underlying renal disease during pregnancy as well as adverse pregnancy outcomes. Now, once a diagnosis is ascertained of significant proteinuria, options for management include several pregnancy-safe choices for diseases typically treated with immunosuppression like lupus, vasculitis, membranous nephropathy, or minimal change disease. Or, alternatively, renin angiotensin aldosterone system blockers should be discontinued before eight weeks of gestation for diseases without immunological treatment options, like diabetic nephropathy. So here it is. Remember that renin angiotensin aldosterone system blockade is teratogenic after eight weeks of gestation. And so, this must be used with extreme caution after women receive individualized counseling to understand the risk-benefit ratio. Options for safe immunosuppression during pregnancy and breastfeeding includes prednisone, azathioprine, and calcineurin inhibitors. All patients with lupus nephritis should receive hydroxychloroquine during pregnancy. So that's a clinical pearl. All patients with lupus nephritis should receive hydroxychloroquine. Now, it should be initiated in women who are not taking the medication already, and it should be continued in those who are already on it because discontinuing this med during pregnancy has been associated with flares and increased use of prednisone. Further, hydroxychloroquine is associated with a significantly decreased risk of having an SGA neonate, as well as significantly decreased risk of congenital heart block of about 50% in those women who have anti-Sjogren syndrome-related antigen A. Now, all right, guys, here's the last clinical pearl, immunosuppressive agents, which can be used, as we've just discussed, to treat significant proteinuria is okay, but generally is limited to typical immunosuppressive agents. Immunosuppressive agents to avoid in pregnancy, however, and while breastfeeding, include mycophenolate, mofetil, and cyclophosphamide. Mycophenolate is associated with high rates of spontaneous pregnancy loss and has been deemed highly teratogenic, with about 30% of fetuses exposed to this medication developing congenital abnormalities. Additionally, cyclophosphamide is also associated with an increased risk of fetal loss and is highly teratogenic, causing multiple anomalies, including, but not limited to, hypoplasia of the calvarium and facial bones and oligodactyly, along with fetal growth issues and impaired neurological development. So cyclophosphamide should be avoided in all trimesters of pregnancy. 
Outside of these medications, remember that several commonly used meds for obstetric indications may be potentially nephrotoxic and so should be avoided. These include tocolytic agents like indomethacin in addition to commonly used antimicrobial agents like gentamicin. The common use of NSAIDs for postpartum pain control also should be avoided in women with renal dysfunction. Lastly, remember that medications that undergo renal clearance, like antimicrobial agents, typically require dose adjustments for a GFR less than 30. Magnesium, a frequently used medication for preeclampsia or eclampsia prevention and treatment, is cleared by the kidneys, and so magnesium toxicity presents a real risk in women with advanced chronic kidney disease, especially for those on dialysis. So regular assessment of serum mag concentrations and DTR assessment is mandatory for those on magnesium sulfate with chronic renal disease. We're so thankful that you guys are part of our podcast family. Thanks for listening to Clinical Pearls. The reference for this podcast was taken from the June 2019 Green Journal from the American College of OBGYN with the topic being chronic kidney disease in pregnancy. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.